Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Hi, my friends. I hope everyone's doing well today. Today, I want to talk about rehabilitation interventions using benefits of speech and occupational and physical therapies, and why are they important? I get these questions all the time, especially when someone is in the late stages of the disease. And I had someone ask me recently, uh, whose wife is uh, in late stage Lewy body, if that person should have physical therapy at this point in time. And uh, my answer to that was there's no real reason to give someone physical therapy if they are in the late stage of any disease unless you think there is some measurable quantity of advancement and improvement that you can get out of it. So if you are a person who has approached maybe your your loved one um, has been on hospice or something and now they're taking them off of hospice for some ridiculous reason like they've gained a pound or two or whatever it is and they're saying, well, maybe at this point we should give this person some physical therapy or something. I want you to ask what is going to be their measurable quantification for improvement for this person because they have to be able to target what their uh, goal is, and what that person will be able to do after the physical therapy is over. And it needs to be measurable. Are they going to be able to um, use their legs a little bit better and not have to use a wheelchair or a jerry chair? Is it going to be because you want them to be able to pick up a glass or a cup? What is that measurable quantification? You know, it really matters because... I don't think that when someone is getting rehabilitation, it should be just random and not really targeting a symptom or not having a a goal that is reasonable for that person. Now, where would it become useful? Well, if um, if it's kind of a holistic approach where somebody's really looked at the the treatment program that is going to incorporate physical, cognitive, behavioral, emotional, or social dimensions of care, like being able to sit in a uh, dining area at a at a care community and um, eat those kinds of things, then I think that is definitely worth the time. And it should be directed by a physician. It should be recognized by a physician that it is going to be, you know, kind of multidisciplinary in its approach where you have not only a physical therapy company, but a doctor looking at maybe what medication someone is on or how uh, how medications are interacting with each other for that person? Is it affecting their equilibrium? Is it affecting their balance and things like that? That's why, you know, you have to have more than one person looking at this situation and saying, yes, this is beneficial. And what are the different types of of treatments anyway. Well, we've got physical therapy. We've got occupational therapy. We've got different roles that we would have for these different therapists to come in. Sometimes you have alternative therapies. And by that, I mean, I've heard of people coming in saying that they're able to really work on somebody's nervous system and make them feel better and more relaxed and so on and so forth. And quite frankly, I don't feel like in a in a setting of a memory unit, that's going to be very beneficial. I don't think people are typically nervous or 
upset once they have settled in to the community and no longer know where they are. That is more of just a a time period that we need to really embrace and be patient with of them maybe just getting used to the community itself. Um, And that just takes time. That's a month or two that the person is, you know, new to the community and so forth. Now, again, what other kind of rehabilitation would be beneficial and why? Well, the the goal for any rehabilitation treatment, any of them, should focus on everyday life functions. Can you get up and walk? Can you go to the bathroom by yourself? Can you feed yourself? Right? And if you need to restore something that you've lost or maybe help somebody maintain a level of control within their environment so they feel like they're not falling every five seconds, they don't feel like they're they're unstable in a bathroom or something like that, things like that happen all the time, right? And what we're trying to do is empower that person and have a realistic goal that they can safely move throughout their day and in their environment as well as they possibly can at home or in a community and that the the caregivers feel comfortable that their safety is still intact and that the person themselves doesn't feel like they are a half an inch away from having a fall or some catastrophic thing that's going to land them in skilled nursing. This kind of happens more often than you would think. (laughs) It really, really does. So if we could use this to our benefit, what are we trying to do? Well, we're trying to use some kind of a specialized intervention to sort of reachieve something that was, you know, previously established as functional for that person and now has become compromised because of their cognitive impairment or their physical issues or an acute illness or something like that. So maybe, you know, as an example, what if somebody aspirated and got pneumonia and they, they, especially like somebody with uh, frontal temporal. This happens a lot. They will eat too much. They'll choke on their food. They'll aspirate. And they will not be able to rebound from that. I'll bet you aspirating and choking can cause probably about 75% of people with FTD to expire. It's a very high, very, very high percentage. And it happens a lot because of the impact of FTD will cause people to lose their ability to walk, to care for themselves, to complete activities of daily living, like making their own food, um, getting a drink for themselves, uh, not overeating, um, being able to shower themselves and things like that. And that is a pretty serious impact. It is. So maybe helping them with therapies in terms of ways to, uh, you know, rub their throat gently or make sure that they are drinking after each bite that they take and that they are strong enough to lift that glass. And so maybe you lift a little bit of weight or you try um, pushing against a wall or something that can strengthen their arms and their hands so that they can get themselves that drink. Those kind of therapies are pretty beneficial. And sometimes we're just looking for in, in terms of rehabilitation, 
we're looking for preventative and maintenance treatments that are, you know, they're kind of performed with supervision and assistance of caregivers themselves. Um, maybe just to maintain the highest level of of function that is possible for their person with the disease, just asking them to go for walks or help unload groceries or uh, doing routine routine tasks at home, things like that, that keep their arms and their legs moving. Rehabilitation doesn't have to be centered around physical and occupational therapists. Uh, like I was saying, there can be alternative therapies and there can be more holistic and home uh, therapies that help people to to live in the environment that they're in as well as they possibly can. And I think it's always good um, to make sure that whatever treatment that you are working with, that it doesn't it doesn't separate that individual from their caregivers or or the place that they live or um, you know you always want to make sure that you're including family members, friends, uh, church community members volunteers that are working with you, skilled personnel like home health aides or um, home care workers and things like that so that they can supervise whatever rehabilitation you're doing and and look at it as a support system for you so that you feel like you have people around you that can remind you how to do the exercises or the particular task that you're you're guided to, and and not um, sort of alienate you or make you feel like it's overwhelming or something that you can't do. Okay, so I think sometimes you can do these um, concurrently. You could do you could do the physical exercises. You can do the occupational therapy. Uh, occupational therapies would be even just being able to hold a pencil or type on a computer or, you know, text into your phone. Finger dexterity and functions that keep your hands and your wrists and your arms moving are incredibly important. I use a, a sort of a mild therapy, but for finger dexterity, I have people uh, – open their hands and spread their fingers apart and act like you're trying to catch a butterfly and you just reach up and grab it and pull it in so you bring all your fingers back in together with your thumb on the outside and then throw it into an imaginary net go with a force going downward so you open your hand and throw the throw the butterfly into the net it's all imaginary but Doing this and even tr like you're trying to catch a firefly or something and you use both hands and you reach to the sky and you try to grab whatever imaginary critter you're thinking of and um, just open your hands and close your hands, open your hands and close your hands and do it all over the sky and just just opening and contracting, opening and contracting. These are important things because if they get stiff – if your hands get stiff, it's not going to benefit you when you're trying to feed yourself or wash yourself or anything like that. I know it may sound, you know, maybe a little contrite or, or simple, elementary, that we have to even have a conversation about this today. But I don't think people understand that rehabilitation really emphasizes sort of the mundane things in your everyday life, the the activities everybody has to participate in, right? Eating, toileting, whatever it is you have to do to negotiate through the day. And when you're when you're considering various types of dementia, control of your daily rituals in everyday life is seriously dynamically defined by how far that person has progressed in their disease. You know, where are they in the stage process? Their loss of function, 
is absolutely inevitable. Every every type of dementia is progressive at this point in time, and there's no way to slow that down or stop it. So, you know, we have to look at redefining the control that you have as things start to wane, as your as your um, balance and your your functioning of your hands and feet and arms become, you know, really impaired and not not able to function as well as they did. It happens to everybody. This is a declining situation, right? It's de- everything's going to decline. So rehabilitation and the goal behind any type of therapy that we're talking about today is just to give you a higher sense of a good quality of life. And if it can if you if it can be measured and you know what the goal is and you have an idea of what you want it to uh improve then I think it's a great idea. Because despite the fact that you're going to have a loss of function, particularly cognitive functions, learning new or alternative ways of participating in your everyday life rituals is possible. It is, especially for a person with FTD. And even if you're in the early or you're in the middle stages of the disease, um, one of the one of the therapies would be remembering names, places, and uh, events. Some from way back in the past, some that are very current, and you know which ones are less important than others. What are ones that you should be able to remember? And going back and trying to access those memories with a cognitive therapy could help enormously. And even remembering, you know, procedures, how to balance your checkbook, um, those kinds of things can go away from you quicker than you can shake a stick. So what can we do? What can we do to improve our memory? Um, People with FTD typically don't have memory issues, but... Their um, speech can become impaired. That's why we call it primary progressive aphasia. One of the three types of FTD is primary progressive aphasia. And it affects your speech. And in that case, um, you're not struggling for, per se, the words. You just can't. You can't form those words anymore, and it becomes difficult to uh, have a have like a thought in your head and say, "Oh, I'm I'm looking at a microphone right now," or "This is my left hand," or whatever it is. So, speech therapy can be incredibly, incredibly helpful to try to. Um, really continue to learn and and use your tongue and your mouth for forming words and not only just the the motion of saying the words or the way your jaw or your mouth opens up to to talk to people those actions and practicing those mundane things of of smiling or you know just opening your mouth or uh opening opening your dropping your chin and raising it back up and things like that those are simple little therapies that you could do that could help you to not aspirate so these are things we have to really look at and you know we what we're trying to do is keep you from being inactive that you know, get, leaves you in a place where you don't want to do anything. You you lay on the couch all day long. You let everybody get your drink or your food or something like that. Um, you need to be able to get up and move around. And 
If you don't do that, you can end up with bed sores. You can end up with a sore back. You can end up with weaker arms and legs, a very weak core. Just laying around and not doing anything is never beneficial for anybody. And so in that case, physical therapy could really help you to you know, strengthen all of that and give you that sense of purpose so you can move on with your day. I I get struck often by families of people with FTD who have just reached the end. I mean, they are literally at wit's end. They can't per se motivate that person because of a lack of judgment and reasoning, it's hard to set up any really strong rehabilitation, physical or occupational therapy with them because they have such a short attention span. So it kind of falls on the caregiver to figure out what they can see around their house and implement it as a good option for an alternative therapy to keep that person moving and uh, functional throughout their day. I have used virtual bike rides. I have used virtual heliskiing um, just to get people engaged in something that is meaningful to them. I'm telling you, you can go on YouTube and pull any virtual thing you want. If you want to walk through a um, garden if you want to walk through a uh, like a garage sale or those flea markets or something like that, there are people who have put GoPros on their head and you feel like it's you walking around in these areas. These are things sometimes that you can just implement for your person, if, especially if you have a stationary bike or something like that in your home, you just set it right up in front of the TV and put on a virtual bike ride and they're on their way. What we have to do is try to find that meaningful engagement for that person that's going to turn into something that is productive, something that is useful and and try to make whatever treatment that you're you're trying to put forward just a hundred percent meaningful for that person. We always have to meet them where they live. If you try and get them to do something they don't want to do or they don't like doing, you're going to have trouble engaging them. It's just it's just the way it is. And so why? Why do we have trouble engaging them anyway? Well, a lot of it is that what is happening in their brain is a deconstruction of cells, okay? It is neurotransmitters and and organ systems that try to help your brain understand basic survival skills. Uh, that get you through everyday life and being able to perform those skills accurately and and efficiently. And it's not working. It's not working. So self-care and mobility and and other issues in this area take over your life and suddenly you've become somewhat incapacitated. You've become a person that we can't reach. And this is why we often have to bring in, you know, these therapists to try and help the caregivers manage your care as best they can so that you don't meet your demise just laying on your couch and not doing anything. Rehabilitation is difficult. It is, it's kind of deconditioning that person to um, looking at only their disease and now bringing them back to the present and trying to help them be the best that they can be. This is difficult stuff. It is difficult stuff.
but it is worth talking about and exploring, and we're going to explore a little bit more when we come back after a short break. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. All right, so when we went to break, I was talking about deconditioning someone. And what is, what is the deconditioning? Well, it's a syndrome. It's a syndrome that is, oh, it's basically comprised of reversible and preventable negative physiological effects of bad sleep patterns, <laughs> um, inactivity, a sedentary lifestyle where you are not doing anything like I was talking about before we went to the break. Um, It can affect multiple organ systems. It's cumulative. So once it starts in an area, it, it spreads. It starts attacking your body and it starts superimposing the effects that FTD can have. Right. And the underlying sort of neurodegenerative processes that complicate your mobility. That's the best way I can kind of say that. When somebody has FTD, they're, they, they lose their balance. They struggle with um, equilibrium. And so when you have a syndrome that is affecting your body on top of all this, how can we minimize that? How do we minimize it? So sometimes you have to have therapists that have interventions that can teach whoever is working with you, your care partner, your caregiver, to sort of minimize the effects of the listlessness, of the apathy, of the, of the problems that, that you have with your muscle and your joints and your range of motion, and try to Im- minimize the effects of, of what I was talking about earlier, like your hands opening and closing and, and the issues with that. It's kind of soft tissue contractures. That's what you call it. You're contracting in and out, in and out. You're opening your hand and spreading your fingers and then drawing it back in and contracting it. And you can use regular walking programs and upper limb repetitive activities to, you know, kind of prevent your your lack of stamina and endurance and for God's sakes, we want to not have you in a wheelchair. We don't want you. We don't want to be pushing you around um, any more than we actually have to. So, being able to work with your body and 
try to lift weights. If you don't have weights in your house, don't go buy any. Use some canned goods or something like that. Canned goods weigh a pretty good amount. A jar of spaghetti could weigh, a, a, you know, a few pounds. Um, you can put groceries in a double-loaded bag or a cloth bag and have the person lift those. You don't have to go out and buy equipment you can you can look around your house and find ways to create weights and if you have like a scale in your bathroom or something um you know all over the country in in the United States they're doing away with plastic bags so we're having to buy these cloth bags that's a perfect way to put uh, some of the same items like canned goods that weigh the same if you have two cans of something or whatever it is and put them in two different bags and then weigh them on your scale and make your own weights to work with. All we have to do really is just look around at what we have in our house that could help us. Um, you could even use like balls, uh, you know, like a, a soccer ball or something like that or pillows or something that you can throw back and forth to each other just to get your physical uh, system moving so that you have to reach up and catch something and throw something back. You know, people, it doesn't have to be rocket science, but we need to be able to help a person keep their bodies functioning. And if you don't, you end up with with um, something serious called contractures. And contractures occur when joints and the associated soft tissues, the tendons, ligaments, muscles, and things like that, um, are immobilized for a long period of time, a prolonged period of time. You're not getting up off the couch. You're sleeping for multiple hours a day. And it worsens as the immobility lengthens, okay? So what happens is a progressive shortening and sort of remolding of the, they call it the musculoskeletal tissues, and it can interfere with just basic functions that you're doing. Um, mobilizing your shoulder for eating. Lifting up your foot and ankle for walking. Um, skin folds under the armpit. Fingers and wrists and between the legs. And contractures can be minimized with a range of motion with lifting those bags I was telling you about, with gentle muscle flexibility programs like laying on your back and raising your foot up. Maybe a caregiver could help you up and down with your foot, up and down with your leg. Uh, Bend your knee to your chest and straighten your leg out just laying on the floor. We've got to do something. We've got to find a treatment approach that help you from getting something like osteoporosis or bone fractures, muscle weakness, loss of muscle endurance, uh, because these things are a big deal. They are a big deal. If you lose your muscle, muscle mass and you're not able to walk very far, you're going to be in a wheelchair in a hurry. And what what we're trying to do today is think of ways that we can, you know, do like bedside strengthening, standing on, standing next to your bed and raising your foot up onto your mattress and and leaning over and stretching your hamstring, um, things that will keep you able to get up and walk when you want to. And sit down in a chair. Um, you, we, we, we think that these things are just always there. That we're not going to have a problem with mobility. That we're 
We're always going to be able to get up and walk into another room or get ourselves out of bed or sit down in a chair and get back up or feed ourselves. And I'm telling you, especially for people with FTD, the mobility skills are the ones that are most heavily affected. And it is a big issue. It gives you a risk factor for having pressure sores, um, especially if you have involuntary movement disorders uh, like spasticity where you where you hit yourself constantly or you're pulling at your hair or um, or you get really rigid uh, so you don't have smooth motor control. Uh, you might get incontinence. You could have frequent moistening of your skin that that is not good because that gets your skin to flop over and become uh, less elastic and able to move your hands and stretch your hands and, and wiggle your fingers around and your feet around. And a lot of that is because of poor nutrition and uh, just not not using your bone and your muscle structures the way you need to. And people, I just, I really don't think you understand that if it gets to a point where the person with FTD cannot get up, they cannot feed themselves, they are aspirating, you're not going to be able, if they lose all bodily function, if they can no longer move, you're not going to be able to put them in a memory unit or an assisted living. They're going to end up going into a skilled nursing community, and it's going to cost you about $16,000 a month. If nothing I have said prior to this makes any sense to you, let that sink in. (laughs) Because if that person is not moving around, they they are not mobilizing their heart, their lungs, their blood vessels. Uh, They could have an increased heart rate. They could have an abrupt increase in their heart rate like SVT, supraventricular trachotomy. I have that. My heart races. So I can't have like espresso and stuff like that. Uh, That would send me right off the chart. Um, And they would have a a decrease in their you know, their cardiac reserve, your ability for your heart to beat and function the way you want it to and to help you uh, so that your heart and lungs are working together and you're able to do your everyday life activities. And if that happens, you're going to have fatigue. You're going to, um, you're going to have too much output of blood up from the heart every time you try to contract a hand or an arm or or something like that and it's going to affect your vital organs and 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 it can really it can really mess with the integrity of the muscles inside of veins and arteries and before you know it they're going to become compromised and you're going to have trouble functioning at all and when the muscles inside those veins and arteries become compromised, um, you're going to have blood pressure problems. Your blood pressure is going to lower and it's going to drop every time you change positions from lying to sitting to standing. And the next thing you know, you're going to be dizzy and pass out and pretty much have, you know, hypotension or something like that happen. And then what's going to happen is you're breathing is going to lose its efficacy. You're not going to be able to breathe in and out very well, which when that happens, you have a loss of strength and that affects everything. I mean, that just, that makes your muscles collapse, um, your lungs collapse, you uh, you have a disconnect and uh, an inconsistent and irregular air exchange from the airways into the bloodstream and one thing just leads to another and you have gone from 
you know, from go to hell in a handbasket. So, you know, you have to think about what are you going to do? How are you going to implement some type of therapy into your daily routine? Physical therapy, occupational therapy, alternative therapy, riding a bike, whatever it is. Because I'm telling you, if your muscles break down, if your veins and your blood flow break down, the next thing you know, you're going to have blood clots that can travel to the lungs. You're going to have all this interfering with the blood flow and your air exchange like I was just talking about. This this is all life-threatening and be, can become really difficult. And then the next thing you know, you're going to be on like a blood thinner such as Coumadin. Um, and when you take Coumadin, because your body's breaking down and your blood's not flowing through your body the way it should be, Coumadin has its own risk of you bleeding out if you have some kind of a minor trauma like falling. I mean, you can literally cut your arm and you could bleed to death. I talk to people constantly who just don't understand the value of therapy when the person is not in the late stages, when they are when they are still able to move around and walk around, but they choose not to. They choose not to. So figure it out. Look at some ways that you can implement whatever program you can so that you don't have consequences from cardiovascular and pulmonary issues from inactivity. For goodness sake, at the very least, you need to be able to sit, stand, and walk. And that's what physical therapy would do. And, you know, work on high repetition strengthening exercises such as ankle pumps and stuff like that. Again, physical therapy. And then ventilary muscle training so that you can maybe even have a swallowing assessment and and how does the the food go down your throat and work on strategies uh, such as changing, you know, food consistencies and specific head and neck positions so that you don't aspirate. And then you can get that with speech therapy and working on forming words and talking and all of those kinds of things. There are a lot of cognitive deficits that happen uh, with FTD. There's just a lot. Um, there's a lot of ways that you can sort of change the, the thought process that you have about intelligence and learning and and testing with brain disorders. And can you get in a research study that could be productive for you so that you have some type of purpose? Can you learn more? Can you share more? Can you be part of the solution as opposed to just another cog in the wheel that's going to fail at some point in time? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Because I'm telling you, I talk to so many people that ask about physical therapy, don't understand the benefits of physical therapy, that don't um, work them well, that don't recognize what the benefits are. This is why you need a team. This is why it should start with your doctor and then make a list of what do you want to still maintain? What do you want to improve? Is it muscle function and balance? Is it um, the formation of words? Is it 
day-to-day activities and engagement that you need to be able to still do so that you can still be social and, and go to lunch with someone or get up out of bed just to be able to visit when somebody comes over? Um, is it is it, you know, uh, so like I said, moving your head around so that you don't aspirate and choke and and work on throat opening and closing exercises. What do you need to do? Write these things down. Write down what is missing. And maybe sometimes it's got to be the caregiver that does it. Where is this person deteriorating the most in what area of their life? And what can you do to get them to work towards uh, being as functional as they can possibly be? It seems like sometimes it would just be easier to just let it go and don't worry about it. But like I said, the the truth of the matter is that... If you don't do something, this person will end up in skilled care. And if you have to go on Medicaid and find a skilled care place, you are not going to like what you find. The Medicare places are not that great. And don't make the rehabilitation that we're talking about a mountain that you have to climb. It just needs to be task and goal specific. It needs to be measurable and even complex tasks are easily deconstructed, take them apart, figure out what you need to do step by step and put them into a logical sequence of steps that you're going to do during the treatment. And if you can really target a task, um, like learning to use a remote control device to, you know, control your cable channels or whatever it is, um, that's a pretty simple one right off the top of my head. Um, you You can work on something as simple as that and then graduate to using a cell phone right? These are little things that we think aren't a big deal, but they go away so quickly. And we think oftentimes that this is just something that the person is losing and we're just going to let it go. But I really want you to take those little mundane things in your life, write them down, make a list, And then think about asking on your next doctor visit to implement some help of physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, alternative therapies to try to make your life a little bit better. I don't go into a lot about FTD these days because we all know how frustrating it is. And it feels like there's absolutely nothing we can do. This is something that we can do. It is definitely something that we can do. And I promise I will have another show soon about difficult or unruly behaviors with people with FTD. Uh, It gives me a headache just thinking about it. (laughs) But maybe we can attack the issues of that with the movements disorders of rigidity, rigidity, uh, where they can't move very well. Um, The movement disorder there is very similar to ALS and can be very, very difficult to work with. My heart goes out to all of you who are living or working with someone with FTD. There's nothing like it. There's nobody, nobody can know. I I can tell you, I honestly believe that FTD is worse in its degenerative disease process 
than Alzheimer's is because we we have different symptoms and different problems associated with it. When a person starts losing their memory with Alzheimer's, it is a slower process. But when a person gets FTD, we see a person that was seemingly normal in their everyday life suddenly behaving badly, uh, making poor judgment and no reasoning whatsoever in their actions. They behave badly. They lose the structure of their words and then they lose their mobility and they lose um, their ability to move and function well in society and it's just a frustrating, frustrating, frustrating disease. So, you know, we will attack it. I won't leave you by yourself. Uh, but the reason I don't do it very often is because there's just – it's a hard – it's a hard disease to try to get our, our handle. Uh, on and and put our arms around and find anything that is productive about it that we can work on it. So anyway, I hope this has been helpful to you today, kind of breaking it down a little bit and helping you to understand why when they get apathetic and start losing their want and need to function in daily life, we have to take control and do something about it. I will have more information and resources for you every week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. So I'll see you next week. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.